Good evening. This is Attorney Vincent Davis and Attorney Raj Matani. You're on Divorce and Family Law Talk Radio Show. The effects of divorce, especially when the divorce involves children, last far longer than the, than the divorce process itself. The consequences of marital dissolution can affect all members of the family and can last a lifetime. You've got questions. We've got answers. Family law legal experts answer your questions about divorce, children, money, property, custody, spousal support, and visitation. Good evening, Raj. How are you? Good evening, Vince. It's great to be on the show again. Great. Raj, we're going to try to change the format a little bit um, this week. Starting with tonight's show, we will be spending more time answering questions from people involved in family law matters. Yeah, Vince, I'm I'm really excited about this, this format change that we're going to do. I think the biggest question that a lot of clients have are, particular to their case and uh, some overarching questions that apply to all cases. So uh, I think by doing this, we're going to give a lot more value to our listeners and uh, hopefully provide some real assistance with whatever they're going through. Yes, this is absolutely true, Raj. Now, some of the advice we give does depend on factors specific to each family's matter, but having an idea of what's going on can stop some of the clients from worrying. That's our main goal, to soothe our clients and to ensure they understand what's going on. Yeah, that's definitely true, Vince. Uh, Like we always say, if listeners have tuned into our show before, I tend to ask a lot of specific questions about what's going on with their case so you you and I can give them the best advice. And uh, some of the questions today are, are a little broad, Uh, But if anyone has a specific question, they're always welcome to call our show. I want to to let our listeners know how they can get more one-on-one time with me or another of our family law attorneys. They can call us at 888-888-6582. That's 888-888-6582. We are open seven days a week, and we do give consultations completely free of charge for this type of practice, the family law and divorce matters. Yeah, that's right, Vince. Uh, I spend parts of every day talking with clients uh, or potential new clients and seeing if their case and our firm are the right fit uh, to help them through that situation. Um, you know, if you need expert advice, I, I encourage everyone to call. Call our show. Call our office. We're open seven days a week. Um, we have a dedicated staff here that's ready to to take your call and gather some information. And if you're looking to speak with us, me or Vince or I directly, just let our receptionist know and they'll be happy to put you through. I guarantee our friendly staff members will assist you right away. If you want to speak to either Raj or myself, just let our legal assistant know your request. Now, uh, Vince, also before we get started, I think it's wise that we let our listeners in on you know different ways that we can assist them of different fee structures that we offer, and uh, uh, as a leader at our firm, you know, why don't you tell our listeners what are some of those options? Well, there's the traditional and the non-traditional uh, way that we charge our clients. The traditional way is where we charge an initial retainer up front, and then we charge by the hour. 
the non-traditional way, which is somewhat new, has been authorized by the state legislature, we can represent people what's called on a limited scope basis. Do me a favor and describe that for our listeners, Raj, because you do a very good job at describing that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm actually on a couple of limited scope cases right now, but this is sort of the piecemeal approach to uh, litigation. Uh, clients can come in and pick a specific set of steps within the case or one specific step itself and be charged a flat rate just for those services. Uh, and so you can do anything just from doing document preparation services, representation at a single hearing, a, a combination of both, or um, you know, sending something as simple as drafting a uh, demand letter or something like that. So depending on exactly what you need done, you can be charged a flat rate. And that's uh, helpful to a lot of people because uh, you know, there's not a lot of people who have a couple thousand dollars sitting around ready to give away to an attorney. We all have uh, monthly expenses and a budget. So the ability to divide up the cost of litigation, which can sometimes be expensive, is a great choice for a lot of clients. And uh, it helps clients get the assistance of an attorney, a qualified attorney, without you know the uh, sticker shock of a, of a large bill. And so uh, this is one uh, of the additional non-traditional ways that we offer services. Vince, you and I, we talk about it every week. Our firm is excited to now offer a new service for mediated divorces. And uh, this is something that we've just begun offering, and we've, we've been getting a lot of interest on it. So uh, for those listeners who are unaware or who are tuning in for the first time, uh, this is a service by which uh, two parties who are reasonably amicable uh, would like to come in and sort of skip the courthouse process and resolve their case in a private setting. Uh, one of our attorney, family law attorneys, acts as a mediator in your case, helps prepare all the documents, do the filings, um, uh, you know, sit down with the parties and help them understand where they're going in this case and where they can reach a resolution. Um, and we do it all for a flat fee. That includes your filing, uh, time in our office, drafting papers, calling the attorney, all for a flat fee. And uh, you know, it sort of helps to reduce the stress and the agony of going through a court system and helps parties do it privately and quietly and uh, you know, Vince, like you say at the top of our show, the effects of divorce are, are broad and long-lasting, much longer than the process. And uh, especially when there are children involved, doing a mediated divorce helps parties uh, reach sort of a softer resolution and, and really uh, protect their children from the ugliness that could go on in a divorce process. So uh, we offer the traditional firm retainer agreement, we do limited scope, and we offer uh, mediated services. And we encourage our clients to call us up, 888 and uh, see if our firm can help you out. Very good, Raj. I, I really like that mediated agreement, uh, excuse me, that mediation um, uh, representation or providing legal services to folks. I really like that. Since you've brought it up, we've had several people call and take advantage of that. Right now, Raj, I want to get started with our questions for the evening. We have uh, about 10 questions I want to go over with you and uh, for the listeners to provide them some information that might help them in, our fam in their family law or divorce case. 
So the first question, Raj, is a very general question. What is the divorce process like? And what happens after I decide to after I decide to get divorced? Uh, By the way, the that, divorce process. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry about that. But by the way, those two questions are, are two of the most popular questions that we get on our website. Uh, yeah, and um, you know the divorce process is one of the more stressful things in I think all areas of the law. Uh, for starters, you have the normal stress of a litigation process, which is um, taxing on a lot of people. But then you're bringing into it that what you're fighting over is your family. Uh, what you're fighting over is your children. What you're fighting over is, um, you know, what your family has built over even if what is a short amount of time. You know, we have cases where parties were only married for six months, but the divorce process ends up taking a lot longer than that. And so um, the divorce process, and I don't want to, uh, be a doomsday uh, preacher here, but it's, it could be tough. It can be tough. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we began offering the mediated divorce solution is to, you know, give a little bit of control back to the, back to the parents, back to the families, so that they know exactly what's happening throughout the process. But, you know, for starters, where a divorce case starts is somebody has to take the initial leap and either consult with an attorney or go down to the courthouse and file the initial um, petition for divorce. Um, you know, you file the initial petition explaining all the things that you, the reasons why you want to get divorced and all the things that you're looking for in terms of custody, property, uh, and so forth. And there's a series of forms that uh, our office can help clients complete. Um, there's also for those who are uh, in a different financial position. Uh, there's services available through the courthouse or through legal aid and things like that. But, um, you know, the minute you decide to get divorced, you go down to the courthouse, file papers, and assert the date at which your marital community has ended and, uh, you know, sort of preserve all your rights that are within that process. And then from there, there's a series of steps um, which could take anywhere as little as six months by a, by California statute, uh, the fastest you can get divorced is six months and a day. Um, there are some scenarios in some jurisdictions where if you have a really simple case, they can fast-track that. But uh, predominantly, you're looking at six months and a day from the date of filing till uh, you can get a judgment for divorce. Um, and within that process, you have the exchanging of financial disclosures. You have uh, a response to the petition and what the other side wants to do. You have discovery to find out if everything that one side says is accurate or if they're hiding anything else um, and the responses to those things. So uh, I think as our listeners are maybe understanding just from that short explanation, uh, a divorce process can be relatively complicated and lengthy um, and, and could last a, a significant amount of time. So uh, the divorce process is extended, it's tenuous, and... Um, the first thing that people should do when they decide to get divorced is either uh, speak to an attorney or um, go down to self-help at the courthouse and, and file their papers. You know, Raj, I am a big proponent of uh, the free initial consultation in cases like this. And I urge um, our listeners 
that if you have uh, or if you, you have questions or you're thinking about getting divorced or you're, um, you've decided that you're going to get divorced, I recommend that you find a lawyer in your area and that you call them and make an appointment and go in and meet with that lawyer so that you can have that free initial consultation so that you can learn some of the, I guess, the overall scheme of the law in, in California so that you can be informed. I'm a big proponent of, of clients informing themselves. Now, just because you go into get that free initial consultation doesn't mean that you have to hire the lawyer. And as Raj mentioned earlier in the show, say you want to hire the lawyer and, and you, you really don't want to spend the money for the full scope service representation. You can hire that lawyer on you know what's called bundled services or limited scope services. And so ask the lawyer about that. While you're there, you should probably get the free initial consultation for an hour. Take advantage of not knowing, you know, not only learning about your rights but then learning about how much it might cost you if you were to hire that lawyer, either full scope or limited scope representation. So take that hour and get that uh, initial consultation free. And, Raj, and the next question. Additionally, sorry, Vince. Uh, no, and even additionally, I think um, we would encourage clients to always seek out our office for, for a second opinion. Um, sometimes... Uh, I would be wary of any attorney telling you that they could solve all of your problems or guarantee any type of result. Um, so if you're maybe getting too bleak of a picture or too positive of a picture, it's always useful to get a get a second opinion and uh, from somebody who might be able to give a more realistic assessment. So um, like I said, whether for the first time we do free consultation or on a, on a second opinion, uh, we're happy to take a look at your case. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Raj, I agree with you. Maybe um, clients or potential clients who are thinking about getting a divorce or have decided to get a divorce should go speak to a few attorneys. It's kind of like speed dating, but, you know, it's more than speed dating because you get to spend an hour with the lawyer. You get to learn yeah. about the lawyer, you, you know, find out about your rights, and you get a feeling. And maybe after you've interviewed with two or three attorneys, um, you can make the decision that's best for you with the attorney that, you know, you think would represent you the best in your uh, divorce and family law matter. Exactly. Rush, um, this week we had another question, which is a really interesting question. Um, it's a, it was, what if our three homes are in my husband's name only? What can I do to make sure I still get property rights? We were only married for four years. Yeah, I think that's actually that? that's a really interesting question. Um, so let's start off with sort of a, a baseline of, of what qualifies as divisible assets within a divorce. So uh, community property is any property acquired by the parties except through uh, gift, inheritance, or um, any property that you had before the marriage. Um, so anything acquired from the date of marriage to the date of separation uh, qualifies as community property. And if... Uh, one party comes into the marriage with some separate property, such as a house or uh, some other large asset. If community funds are used to pay off that asset, to uh, pay down the mortgage, pay down the property taxes, um, expenses on that on that asset, 
um, it's possible that the community earns an interest in that home. So, for example, let's say a, uh, a husband, or in this scenario specifically, let's say the husband came into the uh, into the marriage with three homes, all in his name. Um, if they're all independently owned and paid off, that's a different scenario, but let's assume that there's some debt on all of them, like a mortgage. Uh, even if the wife is not working and the husband is the one who's using all of his earned funds to pay off the mortgage, those count as community property funds used to pay off the home. And so um, when the community earns an interest in the home, that means the wife earns an interest in the home for 50% of that. So uh, there are ways that even though your name isn't on the title, your name isn't on the deed, that you can still earn an interest in the property and uh, use that as leverage in divorce negotiations or uh, you know, try and acquire some portion of those assets. So the the question that was left on our internet site is, um, what if our three homes are listed in my husband's name? Does that mean that uh, the wife doesn't have any rights to that house, those three homes? No, uh, the the simple answer is is no. Or I'm, uh, or I should answer it as the the wife could have some rights to those homes. Um, there's the additional issue of you know, where would the wife live uh, post-divorce? And so uh, she might also have a claim that she should be allowed to still reside in the marital home um, even after the divorce is complete. So even if if one side has the perception that the opposing party has a lot of advantage or um, leverage in the situation, there's always ways to maneuver through it or negotiate through it to protect, uh, you know, the lesser party's interest or the lesser party's right. So, uh, you know, this is one of the reasons why you want to seek a consultation, speak to an attorney, and figure out how you could possibly uh, leverage your position. Raj, if you were going to talk with a client who had this question for you, Mm -hmm. what would you Mm -hmm. tell that client to take with them to their free initial consultation? Mm -hmm. What would you want to see? Uh, I would... My in, my answer to all my clients is I want to see everything. So uh, if you have papers that verify your position or papers related to your divorce, um, bring them with you to the consultation and let the attorney figure out if they're relevant or uh, probative of any specific issues. So uh, when it comes to a house, I want to see um, loan applications. I want to see uh, deeds. I want to see executed loans. I want to see... Um, bank statements that show me how the house was paid for. All these kinds of things that would give me an idea about how the property was acquired in whose name it is held and then how it was paid off. So any paper that could show any of those facts, I'd like for our clients to bring to a consultation. Okay. Now the last part of that um, person's question was, we were only married for four years. Does that make a difference? What do you say about that? The length of the marriage um, is n- not particularly uh, dispositive on any fact. I, I think it might be more relevant to the issues of support, but the fact that they were only married for four years uh, more goes to the amount of time or the uh, amount of interest that the wife could have acquired into the property based on their four years living together or four years of marriage. Okay. 
Okay, very good, very good. I happen to agree with your analysis and your your answers regarding those questions. Another question that was left this week at our uh, website was, what if my wife has been lying about how much she makes? Is there a way I can present evidence to the court in order to get more spousal or child support? We have three children, all under the age of 18. Okay. Uh, I like, uh, if we were in court, I, I might object as compound, but uh, let's tackle each part of these uh, questions one by one. Uh, I'll start at the end uh, saying that they have three children all under the age of 18. So the the courts in California retain jurisdiction over the issue of child support um, all the way until a child is 18 or uh, is 19 and one year removed from high school, or in the fact of adult children who have special needs, the court can also retain jurisdiction. So the fact that the kids are all under 18, that lets me know that uh, child support is still an issue that could be resolved by the court. Uh, now let's go to the first part of, of this uh, client's question. Is, uh, what if the wife has been lying about the court, and how can they prove that in order to change it? Uh, one of the things that is submitted in a divorce action when financial issues are uh, disputed, such as child support, spousal support, and uh, even a request for attorney's fees, is uh, what's called an income and expense declaration. Uh, this is known as Form FL-150. Uh, on that form, parties are supposed to list how much money they make, uh, who their employer is, how often they work, and then they also need to attach... Uh, their most recent pay stubs or paychecks. Uh, additionally, there are, are local rules that require that parties submit uh, loan applications, taxes, um, and other financial disclosures uh, relevant to the proceedings. So if one party believes that the other side is lying about their income, uh, you first uh, need to acquire their FL-150 and pay stubs. And then the second thing you can do is uh, propound discovery. And what that means is uh, uh, there's specific discovery devices called interrogatories and demands for documents. And uh, the self-help centers can, can assist litigants in doing this too, but uh, it's one of the things that's probably better served by an attorney. Uh, but you can ask the other side or require them to present you with these documents. And then it can verify uh, or provide alternative evidence to their stated position. In the event they don't provide those documents, you can continue to go after them and compel them to provide them to you. And if they still don't provide them to you, you can go after them for financial penalties to force them to give it to you. So uh, if, if this doesn't just go for uh, financial issues. It goes for any issue in the case. But if you feel that one side is lying about a fact or lying about how much they make or lying about the characterization of an asset, um, you can require them to propound discovery and you can uh, force them to give you a disclosure um, substantiating or uh, giving you greater evidence about your theories on the case. So uh, there's lots of ways to uh, find out if one party is lying or not. And if he finds out with admissible evidence that his wife has been lying about her income, what should he do? Mm -hmm. He should bring it to the attention of the court. Um, the, 
just because one party says they make X amount of dollars doesn't mean that that's what the court is going to order. Um, whenever there's a divorce proceeding, and especially as related to support, the court is going to go through a series of calculations, and uh, I think this might bleed into our next question, but I'll get started on it and maybe provide more detail later. But uh, the court is going to go through a series of calculations and ask for evidence from both sides as to uh, you know what numbers to input into those calculations. So just because one side claims something uh, does not necessarily mean that those are the facts the court's going to rely on, and doesn't necessarily mean that you know uh, they have the final say on what those numbers are. So um, if you if one party finds evidence that the other side is lying, then they should definitely uh, bring it to the attention of the court, uh, use it in argument to their advantage, and then. Um, if they continue to lie about it, you know, you might have claims for uh, uh, perjury and other uh, remedies to uh, against the other side. Any possibility the lying side could be hit with monetary sanctions, evidentiary sanctions, or attorney's yes. fees? Yes, to the to the extent that it. Um, that another side uh, purposely frustrates the litigation, purposely withholds the information, or uh, you know, sort of intentionally misstates it. Uh, there are remedies. Uh, I think it's Family Code 271 or Civil Code 271 for sanction uh, on the opposing party for for such egregious conduct. And uh, that's another motion that can be brought to the attention of the court. And um, you know, you could get. Uh, Attorney fees award um, in the amount that it took you to pursue that those facts uh, from the other side that they intentionally withheld. So, you know, explain to our listeners the difference between monetary sanctions, evidentiary sanctions, and attorney's fees. So, yeah, this is a little uh, highbrow in the world in the world of attorneys, but. There, there are a couple different ways that parties can be penalized for misconduct. Um, so first, there can be, well, there's always monetary sanction. So uh, the court can impose a financial penalty on one side for uh, uh, misconduct. This can be in the form of uh, delayed responses, failure to respond, not showing up for a hearing, um, you know, a whole bunch of things. So there can be monetary sanctions. Uh, there can be evidentiary sanctions as well, which will either al allow or disallow a certain piece of uh, disputed evidence uh, in into court or be not allowed to be presented because of misconduct from one of the one of the sides or a delay in presentation. Uh, and then the the last remedy is attorney's fees, and attorney's fees can be awarded in several different ways for, under several different scenarios. Uh, the first of which, you know, uh, if one side withholds information and frustrates the litigation. The last scenario is if uh, one side is at a uh, more significant financial position um, and there is a need and ability to pay from that financially advantageous side to pay for the attorney's fees of the other side. So just because, uh, you know, one side doesn't have the financial resources to begin the litigation or continue the litigation, uh, they can't be financially bullied into uh, not pursuing all of their rights. So 
there's lots of penalties and remedies uh, for parties if they frustrate the litigation or if they try to financially impose their will and uh, play sort of bully with the checkbook against the other side. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go to the next question we have on our site. It says, does my wife have to pay me child support? I have full custody now, but she is trying to change the order so she doesn't have to pay anything. Right. So, What do you think uh, of that? This, that's an interesting question. Um, and sort of the reverse scenario, I think, of what a lot of people expect. Um, I think we get a lot of calls and a lot of cases from from the male side trying to figure out uh, you know, sort of how they can control the amount of uh, support that they're paying. And that's not to say that uh, these uh, these clients are looking not to uh, financially support their families or uphold uh, their side of the of the bargain. But you know, sometimes when you take a look at what the court orders as as support, um, it's a significant it's a significant amount of money that parties don't realize how much they spend to raise a child. And uh, these numbers are determined by a computer software, and it, it feels almost uh, detached and emotionless. But um, the court takes in, uh, uh, into account a variety of factors when determining support. So uh, let's talk about the general issue about how ch- how child support is paid in any case, regardless of uh, husband to wife or wife to husband. So in any time when there is an uh, issue of child support, there's two real big factors that are considered. The first of which is custodial timeshare, and the second of which is income. So uh, all of these factors are placed into a computer software known as, uh, generically referred to as the Dismal Master. There are some specific programs known as XSpouse, and I think there's there's one more, but the two big ones are Dismal Master and XSpouse. And uh, the top two lines within those uh, uh, softwares are timeshare and, and tax status and then income of both sides. And so uh, depending on what your timeshare might be and depending on what your income difference might be, the, the software will run and it will say which side has to provide support. So in this person's case, he has full custody. Um, that really doesn't tell me much. That doesn't tell me... Uh, if he has a hundred percent timeshare or not, because you can have, uh, you can be the one given primary custody, and the other side is still given visitation. But uh, let's assume that he has a hundred percent custody, and the other side has zero. Uh, those factors will be considered, and then depending on what the wife's income is versus what his income is, uh, you know, the software tells us what the amount of support should be, and then. Uh, you know, that is the amount that each side is required to pay. Um, what a lot, sometimes what happens in a lot of cases is that one side realizes that they're paying too much and tries to make an order to change so, uh, change the custody timeshare so that they can reduce support. Uh, but sometimes that's a hollow pursuit. The court doesn't only consider what it says on paper, it considers what actually happened. So even if on paper it says 50-50 or 60-40 or whatever the split might be, the court is still um, going to take evidence on if that actual uh, 
judgment or timeshare is being executed. And if one side isn't doing it, and you can prove that you're actually using more of the time, then the court will take that uh, take that number and use that as a calculation for support. So uh, the simple answers to, to this client's questions are some side will have to pay support even though he has full custody, and even if the other side finds in order to change custodial timeshare, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that the amount of support will be reduced. Doesn't mean necessarily. Yeah, so it's not, child support is not one of those automatic things. Um, there's a variety of factors that are taken to, into account. So even if the other party is able to change the timeshare, they still have to, uh, you know, get that timeshare reflected in a court order. And what the court is going to look at is what's been the actual timeshare in the last 12 months and use that in a, in a, in a calculation. Okay, fair enough. It's kind of related to our next question, and it says, how much time do I have to wait to file child support? I have six children, and I don't want my husband to have any custody rights. <laughs> um, before I answer this question, Vince, I, I kind of want to dispel a myth about family law or, or what parties feel that they're entitled to. I, I sort of get very discouraged when one side says, I don't want the other side to have any custody rights, or I, I'm, you know, the other side will, they'll never see my kid, or I'm going to withhold them. It's, it's those attitudes that frustrate the court the most. You know, the state of California has a um, statute and stated policy that it is their intention for a child to have frequent and continuing contact with both of their parents. And, um, the phrase that I hear from judges most often, um, and Vince, you can attest this, I'm in court probably three to five days a week. The, the number one thing I hear from judges are whether the, the parties are talking about being child-focused. Um, arguments to the court about how changes impact their personal life, about how the other side is good, bad, or indifferent, uh, are not persuasive to the court. What the court cares about is how any changes or um, proposed changes or lack of visitation impact the child and how it's having an effect on the child and how what you're asking the court to modify is in the child's best interest. So, you know, I want to discard for a second uh, this client uh, or this caller's uh, last statement that they don't want the husband to have any custody rights. And let's maybe address just the first part of how long they should wait to file for child support. There's no limitation. The minute you file, the minute you establish a case for either paternity or divorce, you can concurrently file a motion to establish child support. And you can uh, either do that through the court or you can um, have that done through the local child support services department, DCSS. So uh, if parties are apart or um, or you know, have a divorce or they want anything to change, they need to file to the court ASAP a uh, FL-300 request for modification of support and uh, sort of get those actions going. And uh, if, if for a person like this who has six children, which I'm sure is uh, demanding and overwhelming, um, you know, I would encourage them to call our office ASAP and we can help them get that process started or uh, call DCSS and get that process started as well. 
Hello? I'm here. Ross? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I was having some technical difficulty. Um, Let's go to our second question. What is the... What is the equation for child support? How do I know how much support I will be getting, and what if he doesn't pay me? Kind of a two-part question. Yeah, I'm lo- I'm loving how all of these clients are trying to <laughs> trying to get more bang for their buck. Uh, it's a multi-layered question, but uh, let's attack each part of it. So, part one: What's the equation for child support? Uh, you know, we I was in a production meeting with our uh, lovely producer, Marissa, and she, she brought up this question, and I couldn't help but chuckle. And uh, the answer I gave her is what I'm going to repeat now, but uh, people smarter than you and I, uh, you know, met in a room and created an equation of, uh, about how to best calculate and weigh all these factors in support. Um, and like I said earlier, there's... The, Two predominant factors that are considered are time, well, three, two, uh, timeshare, tax status, and income. Uh, parties can get certain deductions for paying health care expenses or child care or uh, a host of other things, but what people will find out is what's put in as income status is what really matters and how many kids you have in the tax status. Those are the things that matter. And... Um, you know, little changes here or there doesn't really change the number a lot. The number kind of is what it is. And uh, parties can go online. I think if you just look up child support calculator, the Department of Child Support Services has a simplified calculator that will let parties know what they should be expecting. Uh, and so you can find out based on that, um, you know, what, what the support numbers might be. Uh, also, if, if parties want to come in for a consultation, uh, this is one of the things that we can help assess. So if you have a current order for support and you're looking to change it and trying to decide if that's a worthwhile exercise, uh, we can run a, a simplified uh, DISO master calculation and give you an idea of what what the new circumstances might be um, if all your factors are approved. And uh, Vince, I know, I know you and I have done a case recently where um, you know sort of each factor within the line was a it was for a high net worth individual, but each factor in the line was sort of sort of critical, and uh, there was a big factor that, depending on where it was put in, or big number, depending on where it was put in in the calculation, really made a big change on support. So, uh, you know, for people who are high net worth individuals, it, it would be a worthwhile exercise to get a detailed calculation done, but uh, on a simplified basis, you know, the three factors are tax status, income, and, and timeshare. Okay, that's a that. There are other factors though, on in the uh, child support formula. They just don't have a big sure. a big impact. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right, so, so the second, you know, there's. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ben. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, there's uh, there's a host of other factors. There's um, things like 401k contributions. There's um, uh, you know savings. There's um, income earned, other non-taxable income that you might have earned, or um, uh, bonuses and other, and other kinds of things. There's, there's a lot of nitpicky factors, um, but, uh, uh, and we, um, we'll run all of those, and that's sometimes why parties need an attorney to help, to help assist them. But uh, 
you know, those kind of things don't matter as much as the, the first three that I mentioned. And Vince, where I think you were going is uh, what what happens if the other side doesn't pay them? Am I correct? Correct. <laughs> um, so a lot of things can happen. Um, if the other side doesn't pay you, um, you should you should first of all, um, if the Department of Child Support Services isn't enforcing support, um, I would advise clients to always send a written notice uh, of some kind showing, hey, I didn't receive support this month. When do you plan on sending it? Uh, or if you're the party paying support, uh, make sure you write on your check, you know, June child support or something to that effect. So that there's always a documented record of money that's exchanged. Never exchange money in cash. Um, always try and make sure there's a paper trail. Um, right. If the other side, thanks. Uh, if the other side isn't paying you, uh, you if the Department of Child Support Services is enforcing, I would go directly to them and let them know that the other side isn't paying. They can um, do an investigation of that, and there are severe penalties for non-payment of support, which include uh, potential garnish wage garnishment or uh, suspension of your driver's license. Um, if the Department of Child Support Services is not enforcing support and you're doing this all on your own, then um, there's a mechanism, well, two mechanisms in which you uh, can get the court to acknowledge that they haven't paid. Uh, the first of which is a motion for uh, judicial determination of arrears, which means you file to the court saying, I haven't received payments for X amount of months. The payment should have been Y amount of dollars, therefore the other party owes me this amount of money, and the court can make a determination saying, you know, um, that an arrearage is owed and the rate at which it must be repaid. The other mechanism is through contempt. Um, I'm not a big fan of this mechanism, but it, it's there, and, um, I, you know, litigants should use every uh, theory or legal strategy under the sun to help enforce their, enforce their position. Um, so in a contempt, which actually functions as a pseudo-criminal proceeding, uh, you can potentially have the parent uh, sent to jail or uh, doing community service or some other penalty uh, if it's found that they that they withheld support uh, willingly. So um, there are a variety of ways in which you can get enforcement done. Uh, my personal favorite is to let the Department of Child Support Services do it because uh, they have mechanisms that are uh, much more aggressive and far-reaching. You know, they can uh, impound uh, tax refunds, they can garnish from checks, they can suspend a license, they can uh, do a whole host of things that uh, get you the money as fast as possible and keep a very strict accounting of it. So uh, if people are looking for help with child support issues, uh, please feel free to give our office a call and, and we'll be happy to point you in the right direction. Hey, Raj, I want to tell you a quick story and a story for our listeners. Sure. This happened several years ago, this happened several years ago and a uh, woman came into our office and she told me she had three children and that she, when she divorced her husband, he was a young doctor starting out mm-hmm. somewhere in Los Angeles and that uh, while they were divorced, he never paid child support. And now he happened to be a um, a doctor, you know, of about uh, I think about ten years, and um, 
he was doing financially very well, um, but he had never paid a dime in child support. And uh, the woman who came to me said, well, is there anything that I could do? And, he said, and I told her, certainly, we can collect that, especially if he has assets. Well, um, turned out he owned uh, a lot of uh, real estate, both commercial and residential. So uh, we got a judgment and we uh, filed it and we put a lien on all of his uh, real property. And uh, the attorney, his attorney contacted me and asked me, you know, uh, what it would take to uh, remove the lien from his properties. Apparently, he was trying to refinance a couple of... To make a long story short, uh, within maybe two or three days, I had a check for the full satisfaction of that the child support that he had never paid. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And um, I just wanted to let our listeners know, we do enforcement of child support and spousal support orders. So if you're not being paid or if you've never been paid, please contact Raj or myself at the office. We can assist you in trying to enforce that child support or spousal support court order. Raj, going to our next question. This is a question that I actually um, hear a lot. How far back can I go to claim child support? Is it any different for spousal support? Yeah, so I actually, um, I, I'm seeing this question get asked more and more, and people are trying to figure out what they can do. Um, you know, one of the mechanisms that I spoke about previously was for contempt. Uh, for contempt actions, you can only go back three years. Um, but the the sort of caveat or the critical amount of child support is you first need to have an, a judgment or an order for support in order to to uh, take advantage of any of these um, remedies. So, uh, you know, if you have an order for support, and Vince, maybe you can speak to that specific story that you just told about how far back the support went, but uh, as long as you have an order, you can go seek uh, back child support or arrears for, you know, from the time that the order was made um, and potentially also collecting interest as well uh, for non-payment. Oh, in in the particular case that I did for this woman, the um, it was over ten years, and there were interests. There was a, a substantial amount of interest. Raj, the number was well into the six figures. Wow. Um, it it was uh, it was uh, you know a large amount of money, and you know the the ex wife was really going to let it go and not pursue it. And um, apparently the doctor had broken a promise uh, that he had made to the wife that he was going to pay for, you know, all of the children's college. And apparently he had mm. paid for two of the three children, and he basically, the wife, to go jump in a lake with respect mm. to the third child's college, and he was insisting that the wife paid for the third child's college. Little did he know, or he must have forgotten, about the child support that he owed. So initially, the, the ex-wife came to me. She just wanted to collect enough money to cover the child support. And, you know, I told her, I said, well, 
you know, that's kind of hard to do. I said, I can just get a judgment and collect on everything. And, you know, we'll see what what you can get. She ended up getting paid the full amount plus interest because he was so, you know, financially successful. Yeah. Did did you guys, or in that case, was there ever uh, a, a reassessment done based on his uh, increase in income versus the time when they originally made the order? No, we just collected the child support. What had happened by this time, the youngest per, youngest child was 18, or actually turning 18, going off to college. So the child support had ended for all three children. So there was no need to reassess it because the children were grown. You know, she had never gone back to try to reassess it. So the only thing left was to collect on the order. And even though it was an, an old order at lower amounts, it was a huge amount of money because it was over 10 years. Right. For three kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, and listen, Raj, you know, I use the... Um, uh, Disselmaster has a program called Disselmaster Suite. And it, it, you know, has all these different uh, tools in it where you can compute child support and back child support and interest and penalties and all that kind of stuff. And the interest alone on this was staggering. Staggering. Impressive. Impressive. The next question we have there, Raj, is um, my husband moved my child from my care and will not let me see my daughter. How can I get her back? Is this even legal? <laughs> That's the, I love the end of that. Is this even legal? Well, uh, no, it is not. Um, like a lot of the questions here, enforcement is. Uh, uh, I think what what's the uh, what's the adage? Enforcement is nine tenths of the law, something to that effect. Right. Um, right. Uh, you know, in order to do enforcement, you got to have a valid legal order. So uh, let's assume, for the sake of of this question, that that the parties have a valid uh, custodial order or judgment that. Uh, delineates what the custodial arrangement should be. If one party is intentionally withholding the child from the other, the uh, two sort of remedies that parties have are make sure you always have a copy of your judgment or uh, most recent uh, court order. Always have it with you, uh, especially in cases where custody is very contentious between the parties. Um, Second thing is keep a record of any visitations that are missed or if one party was late. And then the third thing is if the visitation is not being executed by either side, call the police and have them help you. Uh, now, more and more and more and more, the police are refusing to get involved in custodial exchanges because of the high conflict between the parties and they don't necessarily know what they're stepping into. But at minimum, parties can make an incident report and uh, have that as a record that they could potentially provide to the court of missed visitations or frustrated visitations by one party. Um, If that doesn't solve the problem, if getting the police involved doesn't solve the problem or if the withholding continues, then the next step is to file an emergency motion at the court or ex parte. And uh, what this does is it asks the court to make an emergency order uh, uh, enforcing support and making sure that the uh, opposing party provides the child 
Um, and you can ask for such things in the order as the child being immediately provided at the hearing or uh, even having the district attorney uh, have police go out and, um, and uh, acquire the child to, pre to present to the proper custodial party. So um, it is 100% illegal to withhold the child um, against a valid court order. And uh, if one side is looking to have that enforced or uh, it might even be grounds for a modification, uh, they need to present that to the court and, and get a court order or a modified court order to that effect. You know, I wonder, I'm just wondering, um, I wonder if there are any court orders, you know, that are in effect, and if they're not, it's definitely not legal. And uh, this no. person who left, who left us that should go get a consultation with a lawyer right away. Uh, hopefully it's a free initial consultation and uh, find out what your rights are specifically and what you should do. You should take action immediately. Roger, yeah. next question is, go ahead. No, I 100% I, I agree with that. Um, like I said, I think the critical step in there is to, um, and as troubling as it sounds is, and as traumatic as it might sound for the children, is to get the police involved. Uh, the policemen are, you know, the uh, enforcement arm of the law, and if you have a valid court order, uh, sometimes you might get lucky, and if, if the court order says that, uh, you know, the children should be in mother's custody, then, uh, you know, the police can, can make sure that happens. So, or at least at minimum, file an incident report to reflect what had happened so that you have a witness uh, and a report to verify your claim. Mm -hmm. Next question, Raj. It says, if I have 50-50 custody rights now, how can I gain full custody over my, or how can I gain sole custody, sole full custody over my twins? So, um, yeah, this is a great question, actually. Um, and we, I think we addressed it a little bit earlier uh, when we were talking about custody, and I, I went on my soapbox about, um, you know, what, what's a, what are appropriate custodial requests. So uh, uh, when parents have a current custodial arrangement, in this case it sounds like it's an equal distribution, um, any time that there is a substantial change in circumstances, uh, affecting the best interests of the children, you can always go back to the courthouse and ask for a modification. So in this scenario, if one side has 50-50, uh, if there are some new facts, um, such as a change in behavior of the children, uh, a change in behavior of the custodial parents, um, maybe um, uh, mother's new residence allows the children to get into a better school or uh, has some resources that allow her to better provide for the children, um, that her work schedule has changed, her father's work schedule has changed, a whole host of these things uh, might be a way in which you can petition the court to modify the previous custodial arrangement. But um, what you really want to show the court, and depending on what stage of litigation you are, your burdens are different, but you really want to ask the court saying, uh, you know, something is, there are circumstances and and scenarios that are different than the time that this, that this order was made, and uh, for those reasons, I would like a change. And uh, the best way to do that is is to make a motion to the court. And um, it's pretty easy. You can it's a simple document, an FL 300 request for order. You uh, do the request, 
you fill it out, you attach the FL311 that spells out what custodial arrangement you want, um, and then you also want to attach a personal declaration uh, explaining what facts the court needs to consider to to make that change. You know, there was a companion question that this person also left. What can I do in the meantime before we go back to court? Uh, there's there's also a uh, a means by which this can be done outside of court. You know, parents are free to uh, make any custodial arrangement that fits their schedule or fits their change. And so, um, in the meantime, before going back to court, um, it never really hurts to ask. So, um, sort of have a conversation. Do it in email so there's a written record. Um, have a conversation with the opposing side and saying, hey, you know, I I have the means and ability to take more care of the children. Would you mind uh, putting them in my custody? Uh, sometimes parties are hesitant to do this because it has an impact on support and a whole host of other things. And uh, this is another possible issue in which hiring an attorney can sort of help you navigate that and how to uh, approach the scenario or what documents might need to be prepared to effectuate that agreement. But uh, in the meantime, before going back to court, uh, I would first suggest that you follow all current court orders, and then if you and the other parent make a voluntary agreement to modify it, then uh, you can avoid the whole court situation altogether. That's good advice, Rosh. Very good advice. Um, that does it for all of our questions uh, that we had ready to um, answer this evening. People that have written questions on our internet site. Um, next week, Raj, we're going to talk about, uh, I guess we're going to do some more questions and answers under this new format for our show. Um, yeah. You know, I, what I think I'm going to do, Raj, is, um, and I hope our producer, uh, Marissa, is listening to this. I th- what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to start using social media to get people to post questions that they'd like us to ask on the show or like us to answer on the show. What do you think of that? I, I think it's great. Um, people can, I guess, post their questions to our website, and then um, we will also... Uh, Head out our uh, Facebook, and I think we have a Twitter too, and so people can just post their questions there and um, and uh, figure out what they want to ask. Also, if uh, people want to send me a message, uh, you you can send me a message on Instagram at Uber Esquire, and uh, I'd be happy to address those questions next week as well. Uber Esquire, I like that. Uber. Are you active on Instagram? I'm I'm active on Instagram. Uh, it's mostly personal stuff, <laughs> which are all uh, uh, work appropriate. But uh, uh, there was a time before before uh, this office event where I was Uber driving and Esquiring at the same time, and so I thought, what better way to join forces than to call myself the Uber Esquire on Instagram? Well, I didn't know that. I didn't know you're uh, <laughs> you were an Uber driver. You know, I had a, a chance yeah. to invest in Uber, and uh, at the very, very before it was even launched. And you know what I said? Well, that's a really bad yeah. idea. They won't make any money off of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Ron. Hey, Raj. You're I kicking yourself you every day. For being, I'm sure. uh, it's not the first, you know, 
time I called it wrong. I did the same thing with Starbucks and the same thing with uh, public storage. But Raj, I want to thank you for being on this on the show with me to this evening, and we'll see you next week on the radio. All right, great. Bye bye. Uh, sounds great, Ben.